Hello and welcome to another edition. Oh, that's a close up view. There we go. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tigers Down Under. I'm your host, Alex, and with me I have Logan. How are you, Logan? Afternoon, Alex. Yeah, I'm I'm doing pretty well. It's uh, good to see you are uh, at ultra ultra zoom mode. <laughs> yeah, when in uh, uh, much more zoomed in mode than normal um, to start with, but that's all good. Look, um, been uh, been an interesting week of results. Only the one point picked up from the two games um, played against Stoke and Norwich. We'll start with that Stoke game, I guess. Um, not a whole lot to say out of it. Um, a pretty dour sort of nil nil, which we've come to expect from. Uh, Games with Stoke, yeah. Granted, I mean, in saying that, there's been a few games recently where they've played us off the park and, and beaten us comfortably, um, including earlier this season. So, um, a nil-nil is a step in the right direction against them, I guess. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Away to Stoke is always, uh, you know, a, a difficult uh, fixture, particularly for you know for City, and that's that's proven so over the the last few years. So. I guess in many ways, taking a point in this one, uh, you know, doesn't come as a, a huge surprise. I think a, a loss would have been incredibly disappointing and, uh, you know, just frustrating on on the whole. But uh, to come away with with a point from this, I think is probably about right. And um, you know, I, I, in many ways, a result that we'll happily take. Uh, definitely can't compare to what three points away would have felt like, but. Uh, I think one one point's a you know a, a fair kind of a fair assessment and a, and, a, and a helpful takeaway. Yeah, that's it. And it's hard to um, to judge this game in isolation, not with the context of the Norwich result. But at the time, um, you sort of think it's another point on the road. Um, as Rosie said after the game, it, it's just sort of showing how hard we are to beat, how hard we are to break down. And um, I guess you sort of look at Stokes' position in the table. You think maybe. Maybe we um, we feel like we've sort of walked away uh, two points less than we should have, but um, at the same time, um, you know, we had a couple of chances. I thought Oscar looked um, sharp in attack, um, seemed to offer a bit. Uh, unfortunately, out of the out of the game, Connolly looks like he's picked up a knock. He um, he missed the Norwich game and looks like he'll miss Preston as well. Um, he had a couple of really good opportunities as well, um, and I thought Jones and McLaughlin in defence were really outstanding at the heart of it. Yeah, I think you've pretty much summed it up. It was a, you know, as we said, a nil or game. There's not always a heap to talk about, but um, yeah, there were a few, a few kind of bright sparks. And yeah, as you mentioned, the Connolly injury, I think, probably the the most uh, effective thing, or you know, when I, negatively affecting uh, City at the moment. But outside of that, um, you know, there were some some pretty pleasing performances. And as you said, it was as another clean sheet um, on the road, nonetheless. So. Um, yeah, a few things to take away, but obviously when we sit this side of the the podcast and know what happened in the the following fixture against Norwich, um, yeah, you, know, you kind of look look back on this one and you're not as disappointed because I think we left our uh, our kind of worst attempt to to uh, Wednesday morning. That's it. Uh, look, I would say the only other negative probably out of the Stoke game was unfortunately probably Malcolm Ebiohe's debut. Um, yeah. <laughs> looked, looked really sort of out of place. Um, I sort of said at the time, hopefully it was just a fitness thing. It didn't look a whole lot better against Norwich. looked a little bit better. Um, but, yeah, that Stoke performance was quite a cause for concern and hopefully it's just a matter of getting up to speed. Oh, look, absolutely. If we're still speaking this way, you know, 10 games in, uh, I think there'd be a cause for concern, but I'm pretty certain that um, you know I trust the gaffer and and the way that he he sees that that role for um, for Ebioli and um, you know I I do think he will turn into to a very different player than what the first two uh, performances in a city shirt have suggested. 
Well, that's it. Uh, look, we'll, we will move on to Norwich. We'll do our, um, our votes first. We'll move on to Norwich, where I think there's a bit more to say. Um, I gave Jones the three votes in this one, McLaughlin the two, sort of just as I was saying before, I thought at, at centre-backs they were um, outstanding. It's, you know, three clean sheets in a row as a back line, um, you know, unchanged team from the, the last two games. Um, really great to see from them. I did sort of struggle for a third player for votes. Um, I did land on Oscar for the one. Um, I thought he was pretty strong up forward. He, he forced a good save um, out of the Stoke keeper. Um, but yeah, just one of those games that won't won't live too long in the memory. No, absolutely not. I, I think I would just not create any arguments. I think the quicker we, we get past this game and uh, you know, move on to the next one, the better. So I'll, I'll match you. Let's, let's yeah. stay three for, for Jones, two for Mick Lachlan, and, and we'll give the solitary point to Oscar. Good stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, yeah, it is on to Norwich, uh, the Wednesday morning game, um, our time. A lot, lot of uh, anticipation and hype heading into this one. It was really kind of billed as our, our biggest game in, in quite a while. If for nothing else, then to just give us sort of a yardstick for how we were looking against other um, other sides chasing those promotion playoffs places. Um, we did go in with four changes. I guess Rosie saw it as a chance to sort of freshen up and um, I guess you sort of look at it as, as the, almost that opportunity to really attack the fixture by by putting maybe making some changes to the side, changing the shape, uh, which ultimately I think was probably the wrong call. It, it's a really hard one because I look at the fact that Graves scores our, our opening goal and you think you could make a case for saying we should have kept the back line the same as the one that's kept the three clean sheets. Um, but we did have Graves come in for Elder, Tede come in for the injured Connolly, and then uh, Woods and Longman came in for Doherty and Tufan. Um, I mean, we've sort of spoken previously and there's been a lot of discussion about the fact I just don't know if Woods and Seri really work as a, as a two in midfield. Um, they're a bit too similar. And you think sort of if you're dropping Doherty out, uh, it doesn't leave you very mobile in that in those sort of midfield slots when you've got Slater playing out wide. Um, I think I said in the chat, I would have been really curious to see someone like um, Xavier Simons play. Um, granted, you probably don't throw him in against a Norwich, um, but maybe whether we give him a go against a Preston or someone just to... He seems that sort of player where it's a bit bit of a different role, different capability as a player that, that's sort of what we're lacking at the moment. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think that the the Woods combination with Seri is uh, you know, showing too much at this point in time. However, with that being said, I, I do think that uh, having the two kind of passing workman-like performances that you've got, yeah, as you said, you got two of the same players, but I think that's probably already added to the maybe the guile that we that we are demonstrating in the midfield, and perhaps maybe adds to a bit more of like that defensive cover. Uh, so that's that's maybe one thing that I would say about it. But yeah, I'd, I'd be fascinated to see, um, you know, if, if Rosinha does kind of look to see if if there is a place for Simons in there. And as you mentioned, there'd be a time uh, to kind of try that. It's definitely not. Uh, you know, at, at Carrow Road against Norwich. But if yeah. there was, uh, you know, a chance where we did, you know, get that, that second goal laid in the, the 70th minute uh, against, the, you know, a team in the next couple of weeks and you were able to to kind of test the waters and see what a partnership like that would look like, um, you know, I'd be I'd be fascinated to see it. And I actually would be surprised if it wasn't on uh, Rosinha's mind already. Um, you know, is that the best midfield combination? But we come back to... What's the type of or brand of football that he's that he's looking to um, you know to to see played? And a lot of it's very much playing out from the back, making sure that we're we're linking up in their passes and not just giving away uh, possession quite easily. So I think when you look at 
that is the kind of formula that he wants to play with. Like Woods and Seri both fit that mould as as players who do like to have the ball at their feet and distribute. So uh, I, I see his logic, even though it doesn't feel like perhaps the most powerful partnership mm. at the moment. And, and, and you know, the title of this episode is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, calling it Dreams Dashed. Um, obviously, a few people looking at that result and thinking that it's sort of the end of the road for, for a playoff push and, you know, the sky's falling in that sort of thing. What was your sort of take on on sort of the fallout from that game and, and how we played? Yeah, look, it was. I think even we were guilty of it as well in the, you know, in in the the chat talking about the game before, saying it's one of the biggest games that we've we've had in our history in the last few years. And I mean, rightfully so. It's it's given the fans a, a chance to be optimistic, and and that's you know a fair play to what uh, Rosinha's done with the squad um, in in recent times. But when you consider all of all of those things. Um, losing to Norwich away and and getting a point at Stoke, those two events in isolation aren't exactly uh, kind of the worst thing. I think that we were we fell victim to the hype train and, and started dreaming uh, too early. And the one thing that we do have to, you know, constantly remind ourselves of is, is how long the championship season is. I mean, we are the middle of February and there is still, I don't know, upwards of 30 points still up for grabs. And so... When you're talking about a gap of what five points or there or thereabouts between us and the the playoff places, is it's things can change very quickly. Uh, I, I still go back to the the post Christmas early January. We were still talking about the possibility of relegation and how it had been a kind of poor window. Um, you know, granted the World Cup kind of changed things because there was that that massive halftime break. But with all those things considered, I just think that it's it's not the end of the world. There's still a lot of football to be played. And, uh, you know, those particular teams aren't exactly teams that I'd expect to be, you know, walking away and and kind of raking six points off. So, look, disappointed, but I'm I'm not on the uh, doom and gloom seasons over kind of fence just yet. I think that's it. I think it's, you know, it's it's fine to get excited and, um, and sort of optimistic about where the season can take us. And, um, you know, yeah, as you say, we saw this game as a big game and as a yardstick, but I don't think it was, it was never our playoff final. Like it was never a case of if we lost this game, it was all over, or if we won it, we were in the playoffs. Like it was a good yardstick to say to us, okay, well, where are we at against the team in and around the same places as us? Um, who, who just had everything clicked for them. And we have to remember like they were in the Premier League last season. Um, so they've got an array of talent far beyond what we've got in the side. Um, so you've still got games to come against your Lutons, your Millwalls, your um, Sun- oh, we've played Sunderland twice, I think, but a couple of those sorts of sides where um, we're competing for the same places as them and, and they're much more uh, around the same capabilities as us. So I think, you know, everyone's entitled to be excited and optimistic, but I don't think you should be so carried away that it then means that when results don't go our way, you know, it's all sack the manager or um, sky's falling sort of thing, which I think... You know, unfortunately, I've sent from a few people sort of saying, you know, we've seen you didn't get the tactics right and, um, you know, kind of write, not writing him off as a manager, but kind of slating him for it. Like, it's just, it's far too early to be getting that carried away about results, you know, both in, in, the, in the season context, but also both in our journey. Because I think I look at the fact that Rosini has been here for three, four months now, maybe. Um, we've seen some player turnover. We've seen, um, we've, we, you know, as you said, we were still talking about relegation when he came in um, and he's pulled mm. us completely away from that up into the top half. So um, 
we're clearly on an upward trajectory. We've got another summer transfer window to come where we'll make some more moves and make some more adjustments. Um, and I just sort of view this this half of the season as, look, if we if we do somehow make the playoffs, great, that's sort of a bonus. But it's a good chance just to see where all the players are at, what our capabilities are and what we need to do in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I wonder, it's one of those things that you're always going to appreciate making the playoffs because it is that free hit. But let's not forget that Burnley and Sheffield are probably, you know, two teams that are, I would dare say, leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of the the pack as far as, you know, certainly how the ladder reads. And then you can almost kind of throw a blanket over what's left, uh, such as the the closeness of, of this season uh, in the championship. And so you kind of do wonder if we got to the playoffs, it would be very much a roll of the dice. Like it would feel in some ways premature considering where we were at Christmas time. And I know that no football fan wants to ever be that pessimistic because <laughs> you, if you if you got a chance in the playoffs, anything can happen. But I would be very surprised if if, if City were to kind of sneak into the playoffs and, and mount a promotion run um, this season, given the, the amount of change and the amount of, um, you know, inroads that have already kind of been made. It would be an incredibly surprising situation to find ourselves in the six playing for a, a Premier League berth um, this early on in the under the new regime, I guess. Yeah, and I look at I look at Middlesbrough's form and, and obviously knocking Chef United off the other morning, and maybe that's part of why I'm not as um, fussed about the playoffs because I sort of look at, at, at that top three as almost the the three to go up for promotion. So yeah. I don't say it, you know, whether you make the playoffs or not, you're sort of just making up the numbers potentially. Um, yeah. But uh, look, yeah, uh, not a whole lot else to add. I, I guess the other point um, on the pitch I had was um, seeing a lot of the criticism around Slater out of the game and, and his form over the last few games. And I was curious to see, it definitely seems uh, he's becoming one of those players, almost like um, David Myler was back in the day where, you know, there'd be people that would be sort of praising them for their effort and their, their, their hard work and, and it's the stuff that doesn't always get noticed. And then there'd be the, the others sort of, you know, as soon as the game's getting lost, um, they're the ones that come in for the brunt of the criticism. Well, I think that uh, if if that's the the biggest thing that the the armchair fans are kind of looking to to criticise is is Slater. Uh, Slater, let's not forget the the transfer fee that that he demanded, and there's a whole lot more higher wage earners in the you know the city outfit that probably aren't pulling their weight um, as as far as you know if you want to look at the disparity. So. Uh, if that if that's who we're throwing stones at, then I'm I'm very intrigued because I think for for the price that you know that he kind of has has been and the player that he's demonstrated himself to be, if he is one of these kind of rocks and diamonds players that has off weeks, um, you know, so be it. But I tend to quickly gravitate towards the two goals against Cardiff to kind of you know earn us three points, you know, somewhat single handedly in many ways. So. Look, I think people are always going to have their opinions and they're, they're very entitled to it. But um, I think it's just good to have a reality check on, you know, who's in the squad and what their role is. I mean, at the, the fact that Slater is not just a kind of rotation player, I think is is somewhat mesmerising. Um, and, and I'm really impressed by the kind of development. Like, I think he's someone who has played well and truly above what I thought his capabilities were. Um, and so... If, the, if it's taken this long for the shade to start getting thrown, I think he's probably doing a lot more right than he is uh, wrong. Yeah, that's it. I mean, as you say, it's uh, it's not just one, it's not just two, it's three managers in a row now that have basically seen him as a, a mainstay of that starting 11. Um, I mean, even four, arguably, if you want to throw Grant in there as well. 
um, yep. with Shola, Dawson and now Rosie. Um, he, he's been a pretty much a mainstay. So you'd like to think that they probably between them have some sort of idea of, of his quality. Um, and I thought he was one of the best against Norwich. I thought he, you know, when we sort of talked earlier about the maybe the um, lack of mobility of um, Woods and Sari in this game, I thought Slater was one of the really sort of bright outlets that we had um, when we were under the cosh kind of constantly from Norwich is that when he'd get the ball, he'd be able to bring it up the field and um, and find an outlet in Tete or, or at least sort of get up into those attacking areas. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I had him pegged as my, uh, what, well, I don't want to spoil it, but I had him pegged <laughs> as, as one point. So it was a very, uh, you know, workmanlike performance that we've we've come to expect. Yeah, well, I, you know, on that um, good segue, maybe we'll just go to you for your um, votes for this game. Yeah, so I, I obviously, obviously, I, I had Tede as, as my three. I thought that, um, you know, I, I was extremely frustrated with him, you know, as we all were uh, on the on the back of the kind of the, the headbutt incident and and how crucial that kind of was for in the um in the landscape of of that particular game. And I, I think that for him to to kind of show as much of a, a kind of working attitude and approach that he did to to the game against uh, Norwich he I thought he chased everything he, he worked really hard to push defenders and and just made it really hard for um for them to play out and just seemed like he was kind of everywhere so I he was my three points I thought that um that he just did a a, a huge a huge effort and as I said because of the frustration that kind of existed with him because of that incident, I thought it kind of showed that he was trying to work, work and um, work himself back in for his kind of teammates. So I think that's the type of performance that the city fans have, you know, certainly come to, to come to love um, or that type of player. Um, McLaughlin was my, uh, my two points. I thought he was, he was pretty solid again. Um, you know, despite us conceding three goals in the end, it's always hard to, <laughs> Hard to give you points to a defender when uh, you've 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 lost by by three goal scoreline, but um, yeah, I thought he was pretty good. And then, as I said, uh, Slater was my one. Yeah, I, pretty much it's the same three players for me, just in a slightly different order. I, I also today for the three, I thought his work rate, um, especially down the left, sort of covering um, on that left hand side, getting in real deep to um, help win the ball back, and then also um, I thought up the field he was he was one of the you know. His his ability and work rate as an outlet for us up the field sort of highlighted to me um, sort of what a poor, a weaker game that Oscar had, I thought. I thought Oscar was a lot quieter and more anonymous than Tede. When you look at the, the work rate that Tede was putting in by comparison, um, I thought he was fantastic. Um, I, yeah, I went Slater for the two votes. I thought his game was uh, was brilliant and, and really energetic and really um, that that basically that only spark that we had in midfield, um, which was great to see. Um, which is why I was so surprised at the uh, criticism he was copying for the game. Uh, and then, yeah, McLaughlin for the one vote. And I'm sort of realising mean, we're leaving out um, Greaves, who actually got the goal at the start of the game. I thought he was all right, but um, probably um, in terms of his defensive efforts and so on, just wasn't as sharp as McLaughlin. So, so McLaughlin edged it um, for me in that one. Um, that's about it. Um, look, I mean, we, we do have a bit of off-field news to discuss. Um, we sort of t- touched on it before the podcast went to air as well, just in terms of the potential sports village around the site of the stadium. Um, being over here in Australia, we don't have as much uh, context or understanding or connection to the whole fair, which is sort of the main sticking point on whether it goes ahead in that area. Uh, so we don't, we can't really comment too much on um, on its place in sort of whole folklore in that sense. 
Um, I, I was actually surprised here. So it's been going since the seventh century, which is, you know, a fair while, um, not always in the same spot, but that's a, it's a fair, fair bit of tradition behind it, um, which is pretty impressive, but maybe just talking more generally on um, the redevelopment of the area on uh, building up the academy on building up the training facilities and stuff it seems long overdue that we get some sort of investment into the training facilities sure and i think you know uh, the, what i take away i i kind of echo your sentiments and i think we are so removed uh down under to kind of even be able to speak into that stuff but I think the reality is that it really shows the the progress that the club's making and at least the the thinking that's going on like um you know if if that's the direction that that this you know management kind of wanted want to invest into the club and the kind of long-term future that they see I think that could only be a more pleasing thing for the people in Hull and the city of Hull and our supporters to know that that's actually where their thoughts are it's not about just gaining some kind of quick smart or quick fire promotion or, you know, get a few players in, have a role at the dice, see how we go. And then, you know, after a few years that that hobby is not for them anymore. It, it really shows that there's a, a large amount of forethought uh, going into, into the club. And I think if, if you merely look at that in isolation, that's an incredibly pleasing, uh, you know, and comforting thing for fans to hear. So, I mean, look, whether it gets over the line, um, you know, I'm not so sure. And I'm sure people will have very uh, differing views depending on where they're located around the world or located in Hull or not. Uh, but it's, it, it does sound like there's some, some really good stuff happening behind the scenes. No doubt, no doubt. Okay, cool. Well, just before we do our preview of the Preston game, are you up for a round of Who Am I? I'm always up for a round of Who Am I? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, this is going to be an interesting one. So... I made 13 appearances for City, scoring seven goals. Oh. Okay. Um, I, I don't know if this will be it, but I feel like this is going to be – I'm going to have a bite at the cherry straight up. I think it could be Harry Wilson. <laughs> it is Harry Wilson, yeah. I was going to say I was going to be very impressed if you got that right away, but it, it is a high number of goals. It's it's very rare that you have a player come on loan and be incredibly prolific. And it was towards the end of that season um, under Adkins. Uh, under yeah. Adkins, uh, if yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. correctly. Adkins, yeah. And it had been a, uh, a a dismal period. And then, um, you know, I, it almost felt like a shock that we just found this rich kind of run of form towards the end of the season. I remember it largely because of his goal-scoring run. So... As soon as you said seven goals in 13 games, it's, it's really hard to, to think of City players who have been that prolific. So, um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely – that's our boy. Yeah, you know, Tony, as soon as you were shaping up to give a guess, I was like, oh, he's got it. Because as you said, there's not many players that would fall into that category. Um, yeah, uh, joined online in 2018, uh, played on the wing wearing the number 49. Um, I, it was that sort of – I mean, it was interesting. I was looking at where we actually finished that season. We still finished – um, in 18th, which feels quite low considering the, um, I guess, the form or the goal-scoring ability that we showed because that was, I think, Hernandez came back from injury as well. And we had a couple yeah. of those crazy highs. Like we had the 5-5 with Bristol City and things like that. So uh, it was a bit of a crazy season, that one. Well, absolutely. And I remember there was also the hint of us trying to sign him, uh, or yeah. at least there were transfer rumours about trying to sign him for the next season. I remember being incredibly excited, clearly, um, that we thought we might have pinched a player of that caliber, but it obviously wasn't to be. But uh, yeah, what a what an impressive period and what a what a great memorable loan signing he was. 
Yeah, no doubt. I mean, just picking up a player, for, you know, you, you sort of think those those kids that come in from loan from those big clubs, you think, oh, look, they'll be all right. They might show a little bit. He just hit the ground running. It was uh, it was pretty awesome to see. Hmm. Uh, cool. Okay. Well, we've got Preston um, at home on the weekend. Um, Preston, one of those interesting sides, a bit like us this season, that are actually playing a whole lot better away from home than at home. So um, a very different prospect away from home um, than they would be uh, at their ground where we drew nil-nil earlier this season. Mm. Um, they've got two wins in their last five, and although I, will, I think they drew uh, midweek as well. Um, so... Uh, not in the strongest run of form. I think there are a couple of places below us in the table, um, which which is just making it one of those sorts of, just like the Norwich game, really, it's a chance to play a side around us in the table um, and really put down a benchmark for where we are as a team. Uh, and you'd sort of want to think, you know, on the back of two games without a win, uh, it's a good chance to bounce back and, and get three points in this one. Absolutely. I think we'll relish, you know, being back at home as well. And... As you said, one of those teams around the around the same point of, of us on the league ladder, and you know, if there is any hope, as we said, you know, I, I haven't necessarily written us off, but if there is any more kind of burning embers still still sitting there that um, you know that might ignite uh, one last push, well, then these are the types of games that you just absolutely have to be winning. Um, it's you know, I guess it's one of those true six pointers because of where they're located, and I think there'll be a lot of confidence uh, back at home. I think that particularly the the run of form that we've been on up until, you know, certainly the Norwich result. I think there'll be a, a really strong feeling in the camp that they want to rectify um, that result. And, um, you know, returning back to the MKM will be a, um, a huge boost. Um, and it, they would probably be looking at this as a great opportunity. Uh, I know Resenia would certainly think this is a, um, a game that, that demands three points if, um, you know, if, if we're going to, have anything left to kind of to to give for the rest of the season. So I'm confident about this one. I actually I, I feel really positive. I don't think that Preston, um, you know, they've they've got some threats, but they're certainly not a side that I look at and, and have a overwhelming amount of fear about playing. Um, and I think that the the city players will will probably be sitting in the same boat. Yeah, I think one of their more dangerous um, players this season, Chad Evans, is is out suspended. Um, I don't know if Robbie Brady's going to be in their team. Um, to play us. Uh, it would be always interesting to see him back at the MKM. Um, you talk about boosts. I mean, we've got Pelkus, uh, who did have a run out against Norwich midweek. Looked, yeah. looked reasonably sharp, I thought. I don't think he looked like he had too many fitness issues um, coming out of that one. Maybe in line for a start in this one. Um, you know, obviously talked earlier about the fact that Connolly will still be missing. Um, Eboy still looks like he's coming up to fitness as well. Uh, still a little way off, but I guess also worth um, noting Adama Di- uh, Diamante, Adama Traore, uh, with a goal and an assist in the under-23s during the week as well. So great to see him progressing back from injury, uh, probably still a few games off um, from the seniors, but good to start to see some of these guys who've been out for a while with injuries um, coming back into the team. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's, the, the, the I guess, football is a funny thing and it'd be strange to be, Watching a, a brand new signing, you know, feature for the first team in in March of the next year, but um, you know, that's the position we find ourselves in, and it would be really nice to um, see him. I did uh, listen intently, and well, listen intently, saw intently the um the the performance that he put in. It will be awesome to see Traore, um, you know, when he finally does crack the first team again, ends up to speed. Yeah, that's it. So, I mean, in terms of changes for this one, um. 
look, I, I'd probably be be open to seeing Pelka start the game if he, if he's deemed fit enough to do so. Um, but otherwise, in terms of lineup changes, I guess you'd probably look at maybe doing a Doherty in for for Woods as probably the other change. I don't know if you um, maybe it's an interesting one up front because if you were really picking players on form, you're almost looking at maybe giving Oscar a rest on the bench and um, and maybe starting a Tete up front on his own. Yeah, look, that that will be interesting, and especially because it is at home, and I think that um, you know we will probably favour a, a more attacking approach. I think we will uh, really, you know, th- throw the proverbial kitchen sink um, at them. So, uh, yeah, I, look, I, I don't really have any thoughts. I just, I, I would be very surprised, uh, incredibly surprised, to see the same team start as we saw at Norwich. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would pro. I mean, I, I get the feeling, as you say. I mean, we'll probably throw the sink at them. So it could be, you know, a two-nil sort of win. Um, I suspect though, with Preston's sort of defensive strengths, it might be something we can settle for a one-nil victory in. Um, but, but yeah, hopefully another clean sheet at home would be would be nice. I, I mean, look, that's the other question: is is after the three goals conceded at Norwich, do, does Rosie use that as an excuse um, to throw Darlow in for for Ingram? I mean, it'd be incredibly harsh, but. You always get the sense with those sorts of, um, you know, when you bring in a keeper on loan, you almost have to look for an excuse to, to get them in the team. Yeah, absolutely. I I would hesitate to say that he would do that so soon, given the fact that there was, you know, three clean sheets that uh, that existed prior. However, yeah, as you said, stranger things have happened. I, I will be really fascinated to see this team sheet. I think this is probably one of the more um, unguessable ones. Mm. Uh, Given what we've seen in the in the last seven days of form, but um, yeah, uh, I, I I tend to agree with you on this one, Alex. I think that uh, there, there's a confidence in, or quite confidence, whether it's warranted or not. I I can see us getting uh, you know two goals, and perhaps we might even see the unveiling of our new central midfield partnership that uh, we've we've been calling for in in Simons and Seri. This could be the game to. Uh, to, to give it a whirl. But, I mean, let's not take anything for granted. I think it'll be an incredibly tough uh, tough fixture for us. And, um, you know, three points here definitely has us, you know, just kind of daring to dream a, a little bit more yeah. than last week. That's it. That's it. Well, look, thanks for joining me for this one. Hopefully we can keep that dream going a few more weeks at least. Yeah, let's hope so. No worries. And thanks, everyone, for listening in. We'll be back this time next week or, or a little bit earlier, maybe on the Wednesday next week, just to review that Preston game and look ahead to the next set of fixtures. But until then, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast, The Tigers Down Under. For more discussion, join us on Facebook at the Hull City AFC Australia Facebook group, or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Odds. The music was created by Amber and Black. There's no turning back cause you're out